Hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. You are listening to the episode of September 18, 2023. And this week we have two guests. We have Luca Bertoletti uh, of the Consumer Choice Center to talk to, talk to us about nuclear power. Uh, and the energy exchange between Switzerland and Italy, and also Michael Landl from the World Vapors Alliance to tell us about recent news in the vaping world. So we have those two guests coming right up, and um, yeah, hope you enjoy. Right, so we're back with uh, Michael Landl, uh, the director of the World Vapors Alliance, and uh, Michael is going to fill us in on some news in the vaping world. Uh, there's some news out of the UK relating to disposable. So Michael, what's going on in the UK? Yes, even though the UK is one of the most progressive and consumer-friendly countries when it comes to vaping regulations, in the last few weeks the debate started to heat up around the disposable vapes and some people suggested a full ban of disposable vapes and we know it's even in within the vaping community a controversial issue. Um, but we, as World Vapors Alliance, opposed already the, the ban of disposables because I think the net positive of disposable waves outweigh the possible negatives. And what arguments are um, policymakers in the UK making to, uh, to get rid of disposables? It's mainly two, two arguments. The one is youth access and the other one is the, the impact on the environment from disposable waves. Um, I think if we look at them, those both are valid, valid concerns. And I think we need to think of smart ways how to tackle them. With the youth issue, I think there it's important that we don't fall into a moral panic like we have seen it at the beginning of the, of the open system vaping when it started in the US because we already have a ban of disposable vapes for young people under 18 or 21. Uh, it's already banned and we see the prohibition doesn't work. So I'm not sure how people can, can think that this time it would work if we ban it for everyone. I think the black market will just uh, take over the supply because the demand won't go away. And I think if we look at the environmental impact, it's very similar as well. Um, we know from other areas where we deal with batteries or plastics that the market and consumers come up with um, innovative solutions to this kind of problem. But if we right away ban this product, then we can be for sure that there is no innovative solution because then uh, as well, the black market will just provide the easiest, way, the easiest product um, which, which they can supply and fill in and don't care about any of the, of the side effects of disposables. No age checks and no recycling schemes on the black market. Yeah, I, I occasionally have a disposable on me because it's a convenient emergency type uh, thing to have. And the vape shop I, I go to charges me a deposit of one euro. And if I bring it back, I get my deposit back uh, as well on my next purchase. So, so, so there's, there's some things that vape shops are already doing. And on the disposable ban note, I think what is interesting here is that, I mean, ultimately, the problem of accessibility of those disposables comes on, also from the fact that we want it to be easy for smokers to switch. You know, if I, if I look at just this device here that I hold in my hand um for somebody who smokes two packs of cigarettes a day it might be a hard sell to say buy this device learn how to use it clean it buy the right liquid uh, charge it you know so to some people that doesn't come as natural so i think an easy switch 
uh, an easy entry point, uh, the gateway out of smoking can also be disposables. And of course, that creates problems. Um, that creates problems from accessibility to youth, but that responsibility should be on the retailers. Um, where are we in sort of the stage of this conversation? Uh, is, this a, is this this is a proposal for a ban? How long, like, where are we in sort of the chronology of, of legislation here? When it comes to the UK, it's only announcements from different organizations, but also some MPs who already uh, voiced their, their desire to ban disposables. Um, so it's, there is no specific legislation out yet. Um, but we, and, and we are kind of at the same process or stage in a couple of other countries as well. France is heavily debating it and also in Germany, more voices um, are raised to ban disposables. But there are no, no concrete um, proposals yet out there. So we will see. And obviously in the, in the longer run, probably for the tobacco products directive, this will be an issue as well on the EU level. And since, since the, those topics are on the EU level um, decided, then um, this will be the, the, the more important le legislative um, battle. But since there is election year next year, um, that will take a while. And that's why some nation, national governments want to go ahead of the EU. Um, we will see what comes out of it. I, I understand the, the concerns, but as you said, I think the disposables should be one element of the pathway away from, from smoking. And for me, it doesn't really make sense to always talk about less harmful alternatives and how to ban them and leave cigarettes untouched. And at least if in gas stations, cigarettes are allowed to be displaced and sold, it should be fine to have a vape next to it. It's rather simple, I think. Yeah, and I've seen that natural transition also happen with people. They switch from smoking to initially disposables. They figure out disposables are not necessarily cheap. They can get, you know, a better deal uh, on just, you know, getting an open system and then saving a lot more money, which for a lot of people, by the way, is the original idea on why they do the switch because it's just cheaper. Um, and so, so it seems to be quite unfortunate there. If you have the time, Michael, I'd love to talk to you about then the good news because we did some bad news now, but there's also some good news out of Sweden. Can you fill us in? Yeah, it's the, the usual countries where the, the good news are coming from. Um, as we already discussed, I think that Sweden is already on track to become smoke-free this year. And now they double down on their harm reduction strategies by reducing the tax rate on snooze, the traditional Swedish snooze, um, and increasing the tax rate on cigarettes. So basically what we advocate on the EU level and in basically all countries to have risk-based regulation and taxation, meaning that the less harmful product should be taxed less. And the, Sweden, the Swedish are implementing exactly that right now. And I think 20% tax cut is a significant um, price reduction, which will encourage even more smokers in, in Sweden to transition to, to snooze. And, and it pushes them even further ahead of all the other countries on the on track of becoming smoke-free. Yeah, it's fascinating to me how unknown um, uh, the snooze products are in the rest of the EU, notably because of the the ban, which is not you know properly enforced. You know, I guess if you if you want to, you can get you can get snooze in different countries as well. It's not like they're really persecuting people for for using it, and it's really something different because there's no there's none of the you know you, you're not involving your lungs. I'm not a big fan of these pouches. I'm not. I haven't really gotten my head 
at a random, but uh, to some people it, it, it really works. Um, and was the was the government expressing any uh, ambition in terms of like, uh, you know, that we do this tax cut? I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes governments make do a tax cut because, you know, for electoral reasons. I guess here there was there was really an expression of a public health objective with this tax cut, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I mean, they're already kind of achieving the goal, but they want to make sure that the status stays as well, um, because it's not guaranteed once you have a smoking prevalence of below 5% that it stays like that. And I think this is a further step to ensure that these harm reduction strategies are implemented on all levels and, and um, helping more even more smokers to switch. Um, and as um, a good friend of us kind of um, says, I'm in favor of all kind of tax cuts. And in this case, it's um, especially for harm for less harmful products. I think it makes sense and should be should be an example for the EU, but also other EU countries to follow their lead because we can see it works. And now they, they are showing us how it's done and it, the other countries don't have excuses um, except of following the lead for the legal products. Obviously, um, snooze should be legal in the EU. Unfortunately, it's not. But then at least um, implement those those uh, risk-based taxation for the available products, such as vaping and the nicotine pouches. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds great um, to me. I, I also think that eventually there should be a reconsideration on uh, to what extent uh, that should remain illegal in the European Union. And hopefully there will be some changes there. Michael, just remind everyone at the at the end here of the interview uh, where people can uh, find World Vapors Alliance online. Worldvaporsalliance.com. There we have all the all the current campaigns and resources and vaping facts available for all activists, journalists, and interested people out there. Fantastic! So do give them a follow on social media and all the other places where you can find World Vapors Alliance. Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Right, dear listeners, so we are back here on the Consumer Podcast, and uh, this is something new that the Consumer Choice, has, Consumer Choice Center has been working on, which is um, energy security in Switzerland. So some of the listeners might be uh, Swiss, some of the listeners might be interested in energy security altogether. Let me tell you very briefly on uh, what we're doing here. The Swiss government is making significant changes to its uh, energy uh, market. Uh, we're going to bring in one of our colleagues to talk about this. But uh, before we do that, I wanted to just uh, tell the audience um, that uh, you can find an entire paper on uh, the Swiss uh, energy security and the changes that Switzerland is trying to make on our website on consumerchoicecenter.org. Uh, you can go into the policy area or the research area, uh, or you just type in energy security in Switzerland. The report is actually available in uh, English, French, German, and Italian. Uh, so you can really pick and choose there for which language you like best uh, and learn more about what Switzerland is trying to do and what we think it should do instead. But now let's talk to uh, my colleague, uh, Luca Bertoletti. And uh, Luca is not Swiss, but he is a close neighbor. Uh, and uh, Luca, as an Italian, has um, a lot of thoughts on what Switzerland is trying to do and how it compares to the Italian example. So Luca, give us a bit of an intro here. How do the two energy markets uh, of these neighboring countries compare? Yeah, uh, thank you, Bill, very much for inviting me to this episode. And it's actually very interesting how Switzerland is repeating the mistakes of Italy. So uh, the two energy markets right now are very similar. 
and very different at the same time. Both the energy markets are open, so there is a lot of competition of service providers and energy providers for households and consumers. Uh, they all use very different type of uh, energy supply, uh, energy uh, suppliers. Can be uh, in the case of Switzerland, fossil fuel. It can be uh, water uh, power plants. It can water electric power plants. It can be actually uh, solar, wind, nuclear. In case of Italy and coal, of course. Uh, in case of Italy, we actually just have fossil fuel that we are getting out of there. Uh, we have renewable energy and we have coal which also is going out and uh, phasing out in the next in the last uh, few years so a uh, big, big problem right now uh, that i see of the plan of switzerland is like we are repeating literally the same mistakes that it did in 1987 after the chernobyl disaster uh, italy decided to shut down all its power plant uh, with a referendum uh, these nuclear power plants were giving Italy more than 55% of its energy supply. Uh, the last one was Caosso and they closed, uh, well, actually the month I was born in August 1990, so it was a terrible month for Italy, not just because I was born, but also because they actually shut down the last power plant, nuclear power plant. But apart from jokes, uh, from that moment, uh, from uh, 1987 on, the price of electricity in Italy escalated. So while before and the price of electricity was more or less the same between Switzerland and Italy, uh, with a bit cheaper in, actually in Switzerland because it was actually um, um, less taxes on it, but the raw price was basically the same. Afterwards, the price of electricity and to the household increased and exponentially in Italy. Uh, right now, the, the difference between Italy and Switzerland is almost 25% uh, difference, which is a lot. And this is not just because Italy is, uh, uh, has more taxes, which actually is completely true respect to Switzerland, but also because Italy has way less supply uh, than actually demands. And it's fun, fun enough, uh, Italy is actually buying electricity made by nuclear uh, and fossil fuel from Switzerland. Uh, so fun enough, we actually cast, uh, closed our nuclear power plant, we decided to phase out from fossil fuel, and we are now buying from Switzerland. If Switzerland will continue on their plan of um, shutting down nuclear power plants and shutting down fossil fuel power plants, the risk for the Swiss is that we are going to buy from the French. Uh, which also, uh, and that will increase exponentially the cost of electricity. Uh, to just give another comparison, while everyone is hit by inflation right now, uh, in Italy, in the past year, we had a plus 25% increase of cost of electricity. Uh, we are now trying to re reopen some uh, coal power plants uh, and uh, uh, gas uh, uh, power plants, but it takes time to reopen them. So while we are reopening, the cost of electricity increases 25%. And compared to, I'm not comparing it to Lira because it's going into a very difficult direction, but compared to when the Euro, Euro started in Italy, 
the price increased of almost 87% of electricity. So in, from 2001 until 2023, 87% more. I'm not sure if the Swiss people was the same for their households. No, and it seems to be sort of a ripple effect where the, the, the Germans need to buy from abroad, um, you know, especially from, from Poland for, uh, for coal, um, because they, they have a necessity there. They're including actually buying coal from, from Poland to then burn it in, in Germany, which seems to be contrary to the energy transition that Germany was trying to do. Um, Switzerland going this route, Italy as well. Tell me, um, the Swiss argument for their energy transition that they're currently uh, trying to do is an environmental one. Um, Italy did this a while ago. What was the argument back then to phase out uh, a lot of the more reliable energy sources? Well, the, when it comes to fossil fuel, obviously it was a choice, uh, a very not pragmatic, but very crazy choice from our previous governments to become completely green. Uh, we had the party back then with the Freistar movement that was talking about the happy uh, decrease of, a, a, of economy. And among this, it was able actually to say, how we are going to do this? Of course, taking out all of the fossil fuel, just going green, just solar, just wind is amazing. That's obviously not really what the, how it works uh, in real life. In 1987 was the nuclear power plant disaster in Chernobyl that scared off the population and there was a very strong uh, uh, referendum and obviously at that point it was more, uh, a, I would say, a reaction to what happened and it was not really clear. We had a very strong communist party that would say it was not obviously fault of the Soviet but actually it was fault of the technology. So that's how this happened. So. And um, I mean, it's, the whole thing is very strange to me in a sense that, you know, Swiss people until now seem to be paying less for energy than, than Italians. You know, you would think it would be the other way around. Whenever I travel to Switzerland, everything is more expensive. You would think that uh, also energy uh, would be more expensive. Um, since you, you speak Italian, how have you, um, has this been a topic in uh, the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland? Are people talking about this? Uh, what, what's where's the conversation I'm, going? I'm honest. I did not see this. Uh, uh, I did not see this topic very loud in the media. Um, also, because in the mentality, I mean, I'm Italian, so I'm not Swiss, but the mentality of Swiss 2050 is very far away. Uh, so obviously, many things can change. And also, Italian Swiss region did not actually uh, uh, voted in favor during this referendum. So Ticino was actually against, the majority of the population was actually against this plan. Uh, I think this will be a debate for the current election that are going to be in the next few months, I think in November, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that will be actually a very strong debate between political parties. Also because the political parties, if you look at it, they are actually divided. And I think it was very smart from the green pushing, saying, oh, we actually need uh, this plan to align with what the rest of Europe is doing. If you look at the rest of Europe, we actually, except for uh, our common friend Frank Zimmermans, everyone else is actually retrieving and uh, saying, okay, let's slow down. 
let's do a green transition, but all we do in the same way the US did, which we completely changed their way of doing industry, or we are gonna just shut down our most too sophisticated um, markets and exponentially increase the inflation. And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow the Consumer Choice Center on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. It's called X now. Uh, we don't care. We don't. It doesn't really matter. Um, and uh, follow this uh, podcast, of course, on all the channels. Please subscribe and recommend to a friend. And you'll hear from me on Thursday. You have to learn.